0: This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by David and Brady. Uh, Gentlemen, this past weekend the Georgia State Panthers went down to Statesboro and suffered a 38-10 defeat to the Georgia (laughs) Southern Eagles in their final uh, game of the regular season for 2019. What are our thoughts? It's a bad taste game. Leaves a bad taste in your mouth.
1: Yeah, kind of speaking to that, it is definitely one of those bad taste in your mouth games. Uh, You know, you're playing your rival. You've never lost in the stadium. You know, you have an opportunity to keep them from going to a bowl (laughs) game. And you kind of just come out and you, you had a flat game. You know, you started off kind of slow and then picked it up a little bit as the first quarter got into it. And then after that, really nothing, nothing on offense went well for Georgia state after that, which was, you know, kind of disappointing to watch, honestly.
2: Yeah. I spelled it out in my piece earlier this week, the fourth down conversion to start the second quarter, followed by an 18 yard pass from Dan Ellington to Aubrey Payne to get Georgia state right outside the red zone. Almost literally from that point in a 7-7 game, nothing went right for Georgia State the rest of the way. You have a missed field goal right after that. Georgia Southern goes down the field, gets a field goal. You go three and out. Georgia Southern gets a touchdown to go up two scores. And then the second half was just entirely just, you know, outmanned both sides of the ball. Just nothing good really to say about that.
1: And I wish... I wish we could sit here and talk about some, you know, great individual performances, and you know, I think Destin Coates had a good game. I guess Dante Wilson. Dante Wilson played well. Sorry, uh, sorry. Individual performances on offense, because okay, okay, okay. uh, There were there was a lot to like on defense. I feel like I've said that all year. Um, The front three was phenomenal. Dante Wilson, Hadrick, Willis, and Harry Thomas, they all played phenomenally. Uh, Cornelius McCoy, he had a pretty good game, all things considered. Everybody else, I can't necessarily say that they played that well. Um, Outside of the touchdown drive, the offensive line, just did not give Dan much time. He was on the ground so much. You know, Dan didn't necessarily play too well, but obviously the injury is a factor. You know, I think there were times where he held onto the ball a little bit too much, you know, tried to do a little bit too much. Um, Oof, it was just, it was rough to watch.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Part of it was holding onto the ball, you know. I I hasten to call that what it was because I think it was that there wasn't anyone open. I think credit goes to the secondary for Southern that they were playing good coverage and kind of containing Dan's first couple reads. And then the pressure up front was getting there. And I think smartly, because knowing that Dan was possibly hobbled coming into this game, Southern showed more pressure than they usually did. And Coach Elliott specifically noted that after the game that showed more pressure than they had done on film. And I'm sure that was a specific intentional thing because of the back situation with Georgia state. Uh, But it wasn't really Dan's fault in my mind. He really didn't have any time. He got away from pressure and was, you know, forced out of the pocket and extended plays and incomplete passes or throwing it away you're still taking a sack we're still outcomes that happen but I think he did enough to try and make something happen on those plays and he was trying his heart off you know playing so hard trying to make it happen and I just think that he got a little let down by his support which happens Georgia Southern played a good game on defense and you're not seven and five without the offensive line being as good as they've been all year so it's not like coming from a place of like offensive line like they've they've definitely worked up some goodwill to where bad night at the office
1: yeah i agree and uh another group that i feel like needs to be mentioned who had a bad night on the offense is switching over to defense i think that the secondary just as a whole just played terribly um And I know that obviously Georgia Southern runs an option offense. I get it. You know, when Georgia Southern ran up the middle, the, the Georgia state defensive line was amazing. Any sort of pitch, the option, anything outside off tackle. It's like the secondary couldn't tackle or cover, or it was just, it was really, really bad to watch. And I mean, that's, that was the tale of the game. You know, it's, All they want to do is just get those chunk yardage plays, chunk yardage plays. And, you know, I think there was a couple passes that, you know, a Georgia State corner knocked it down. I think was it uh, Jones? Evan Jones, yeah. Yeah, Evan Jones, who had the nice tip pass in the third quarter. But, man, it was just really hard to watch those cornerbacks not just get blocked on the outside, man, and not peel off blocks. And, oy, 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 tackling is important.
2: Yeah, it wasn't like if you look at the stats, it doesn't seem like that scary blow but The stats do not say 38-10 final because Southern only had a yard advantage of a you know, little over little under 100. But they just what happened was they played a simpatico game on both sides of the ball and fed their offense fed into their defense fed into their offense. And they just took advantage of situations and played that really well. Kind of like how app state worked the end of the first half in the game against Georgia state to where that basically put the game away to start the second half because of the run they got with touchdowns at the end of the half. They they fed that well, because they got touchdown before the half, they got the ball out of the half and on a short field from a kickoff return scored to make it a three score game out of the half. And so, that was, you know, that's that's how you win games is by having the units play in sync like that. And I think that they really wanted to prove a point about winning in their own stadium against Georgia State. Uh, it's 3-3 all time in the rivalry series now, but now it's Georgia State is only 2-1 in Paulson Stadium. And with the hobble, Dan Ellington, with them on offense playing better as weeks had gone on, and with that looming... Zero and two at home against your rival. I think that everything just kind of built up to be really easy for Georgia Southern to get up for this game. So I'm not taking too much away from a big picture. I think it was one of those nights or just things didn't go well. You've still got, you're not using Dan as an excuse because as I just laid out, I don't think Dan is in any way, shape, or form the reason for the loss. I don't think he was anywhere near. The reason for the struggles, but you live and learn. You remember this two years from now when you come back to Statesboro and you've got a bowl game.
1: Yeah, you still have a game to prepare for. Um, We obviously won't know where Georgia State goes until Sunday. We can speculate that we can. We let's do that.
2: Let's do that real quick. Also worth saying, and hopefully this doesn't happen between us recording this and this getting released, we've seen a bowl matchup already. Doesn't involve the sunbelt, but it's possible before Sunday stuff starts trickling out. And with the Sunbelt, it's basically gonna be if one of these bulls it gets leaked, like whether it's the Cure Bowl, whether it's the Camellia bowl, whether it's the Arizona Bowl, if one of those like non-champion involving bowls for the Sunbelt gets leaked it'll pretty well spell out how the rest of the, the bowls will fill out in my opinion. Cause I think depending on if it's Georgia Southern in Orlando or depending on if it's, you know, Georgia state in Montgomery, if one of those leaks, I mean, obviously if it leaks the Georgia state's in Montgomery, we'll pretty obviously know which bowl Georgia state's playing in. But depending on which of those it is, if it does happen,
0: it will make the other bowls in the sunbelt a lot clearer. There's still an outside chance that <clears throat> let me take that again. There's still an outside chance that App State could go to an access bowl, but it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on how it, badly they beat Louisiana, if they beat Louisiana and well, Boise State and uh, who else? Boise State and somebody have to so, lose. So
2: here's the thing. Cincinnati lost to Memphis last week,
0: but did not fall
2: below App State in the rankings. And Cincinnati play again this week for the American,
1: which is and, hilarious by the way.
2: Yeah, it is a really funny one of those, you know, back to back weeks still playing the same team. But if Cincinnati wins, they're in the American with, which is definitely valued higher than the Sunbelt. And their losses would be to Ohio state who's in the playoff and Memphis, who they would have just beaten and college football rankings. You know, the people who do those who like revenge wins, and also value the American. And so basically what I'm saying is I thought that there's the slimmest of slimmest chances for App State. And I'm now pretty sure that that slim chance is basically like 0.000001. It's unfortunate you lost the game to Southern and that might be what knocks you out, but I don't see it even in the most marginal of situations happening because Cincinnati has been valued higher than them, even with their loss last week. So we can feel free to say that, you know, there's a chance, but this really is like the dumb and dumber. Like you're saying there's a chance.
1: Right. App State would probably have to beat Louisiana by like a hundred and then Cincinnati and Memphis implode. So, but that's okay. It's not like the New Orleans bowl or... Any other of the five Sunbelt Bowls are necessarily bad bowls to go to.
2: So, all that said, given we're not an App State podcast, we can talk about not the playoff and we can talk about not the top 25 rankings and we can talk about stuff relating to Georgia State and the bowl that Georgia State might be going to.
1: Durable three times.
2: (laughs) I think that is incredibly (laughs) unlikely.
1: I had to say. I would too. I think the story is too good uh, with Arkansas State and just the turnaround that they had this year. Uh, it definitely makes sense that they're probably going to end up going to Orlando, which is great for them. I mean, it's a good bowl.
2: I yeah, I think it's where I'm landing. I, I understand the story of the Cure Bowl and everything, and we've talked about that multiple times since we've been talking bowl matchups, but. You know, last second, I'm getting more and more of a feel that it might be Southern because there's apparently been some legs that even back to the first Cure Bowl, they wanted Georgia Southern then. And so there is still that hanging over where it doesn't necessarily relate to any storyline. It's just that I guess because the they feel they'll sell tickets or whatever that they want Georgia Southern. And so I think this is what we'll say are the two scenarios based basically that probably play out forgetting the whole app doesn't go to new Orleans or mobile part of it that forgetting that scenario, because it's pretty unlikely at this point, Georgia Southern goes to Orlando. It feels pretty likely. That means Georgia state would go to Montgomery. Arkansas state would go to the Arizona bowl. If Arkansas state does go to Orlando, I guess all bets are kind of off because Camellia apparently doesn't really want to take the same team two years in a row and that's where Southern went. But if I had to guess, if Arkansas State is the team for Orlando, then Georgia State would go to Arizona.
1: That would be rough.
2: It's I I think it even given whatever Camellia said about not wanting to take the team two years in a row, If they're looking at a thing where they thought that Southern traveled where last year and they might just want to replicate that and they have questions about the younger program in Georgia State, then it it is the counterintuitive thing where. Georgia State, because of attendance questions throughout the history, might get relegated to the bowl that has the lowest chance of having a good fan turnout because it's on the other side of the country, but at the same time. If it happens this way, if it is the Arizona Bowl, then fans, I would say, take that as a, you know, a message that that's the perception. And it's not totally unfounded based on the entire history, but have that be a wake up call and, you know, talk to your friends who are alums who aren't going that you think should be going or, you know. I think that if if it is Arizona. Just as a, you know, as a from the fan point of view, I'm betting that's not going to be too fun because a huge trip and it's on New Year's Eve, which is time where people kind of set aside to do their own thing for, you know, not traveling across the country to Arizona to watch a football game. And, but if that's the rub, then that's the game. And from a football side, it's against a Mountain West team. So that, could lead to a better matchup possibly for the team than if it was against a Mac team in Montgomery. But I I would say that would be my expectation.
0: Now, before we go too far into the attendance drives bowl selection thing, let's take a look at the statistics from this year for attendance. You would be shocked to find out just how high Georgia state is ranked, given all the smack talk that's been on Twitter and on message boards. So I I don't know if either of you two guys are aware of what the actual numbers are. Where do you think Georgia State finished the season ranked in home attendance?
1: So I before I I guess because I th- I do think it's good because I've seen people talk about it. I don't know the number off the top of my head, um, but I do know that was it. Three of the home games were played in like monsoon type conditions. You know that was Georgia Southern. Was it sun? Like, legitimately,
0: they had three home games that were veritable monsoons. And we I, had three I, I, home games that had light rain for half okay. of the game or less.
1: But it, not to dunk on an, enti- an entire city, but it is still Atlanta and, you know, it's still rain. Um right. But I I want to say that Georgia State finished probably third in attendance in the Sun Belt this year. That is extremely optimistic and you would be incorrect. Really? Uh,
0: Brady, did you have a guess? I mean, not I know too it's far in off. the...
2: Eighteen thousand range, something like that. Um, right. But also, I, I, I don't like talking about attendance in general. I, I actually hate talking about attendance. One, it's down across the board. Everyone's got issues. And two, it always invariably to this, you know, counting numbers debate. Because yeah, there's games where the attendance, which is how everyone announces attendance, has been higher than what it looks like in the stands. That's just kind of how it works with everyone. And that's just how it goes. And so I understand people looking at Georgia State as a whole and not trusting those numbers and saying, you know, okay, you had 18,000 show up. But like, how well would you really travel to a bowl game? Because the history hasn't been there. And there's other schools the that have had a good history of turning out. And so... I have a guess because <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't I don't trust that number and that's that's fine because it, it doesn't need to be hundred percent accurate number as far as like butts and seats because that isn't how college football attendance is counted, but I, I don't don't
0: know that that matters to me. <laughs> well, it matters. Here's where I'm getting at. It ma- it doesn't really matter bodies and seats so much as it does tickets sold and revenue generated. And for the record, Georgia State this season in the Sun Belt was fifth with an average of seventeen thousand one hundred eighty-six. Behind in the East, App State at number one overall, Troy at number two overall, and then in the West, Arkansas State at number three overall, and Louisiana Lafayette at number four overall. And Georgia Southern was last. Yes, they do report apparently actual quote-unquote butts in seats for whatever reason, but their reported number is 13,964. And even if we didn't have butts and seats at Georgia State Stadium to the tune of over 17,000, that's still tickets sold and distributed, which is what matters to bowl games because they're trying to sell tickets. So anyone saying that attendance is or should be a factor in sending Georgia State to Arizona is, in my opinion, wrong.
1: I think the Panthers can travel well.
0: Can. To Arizona? No. People will not go to Arizona.
1: It's certainly a challenge, I will admit, but um, I mean, hey, at least it'd be a fun game matchup. How often does the Sun Belt play Mountain West teams?
0: Mm, last time that happened was air force or at least for georgia state would have been air force in 2015 yeah yeah 2014
2: 2015 um yeah i mean i like i say i hope we don't have to keep talking about attendance because i just it's mortifying to me um it's just a really fundamentally unfun conversation around college football and just isn't worth really spending a lot of time on but I think that is a lot of like goes into it. And I don't know that it's just about raw numbers. I think that that helps, but I think it's also looking at how teams have traveled and looking at just in general, the rabidness of the fan base and assuming that it would come and rent a bunch of hotels and all of that. So I guess we'll see how it shakes out. But like I say, if Georgia Southern goes to Orlando, I think that Georgia state would be in Montgomery If Utah State goes to Orlando, I would think that Georgia State would go to Arizona. That's just the two likely scenarios and how they would shake out and why, in my opinion.
0: And if Georgia State goes to Arizona, that doesn't say necessarily that's, oh, it's a terrible thing. It's bad. No one's going to like. People are still going to want to watch the game. And if that happens, then I'm going to try and make sure that at least one of us potentially can go cover it if that's something that we're able to do. But I don't I don't think anyone is deliberately wanting to go to Arizona over uh, Christmas weekend.
1: I'll go to Arizona. All (laughs) right.
0: See you there. Let's go. I'm not paying for your plane ticket, but.
1: So, but in happier news, uh, the Sunbelt released the all conference teams this week. And were there any surprises? I feel like this the list of Panthers that we had tweeted about earlier is pretty... It's a—it's about fair. I know Brady mentioned one player should have been a little higher, but I can let you give your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, so I guess I'll just spell it out again. If you didn't see the tweeter, I haven't been following the Sunbelt News. So for Georgia State specifically, the Panthers listed are. On the first team, all sunbelt, running back Trey Barnett and left tackle Hunter Atkinson. On the second team, quarterback Dan Ellington, tight end Aubrey Payne. On the third team, wide receiver Cornelius McCoy, guard Shemarius Gilmore. And then the four honorable mentions for Georgia State were tight end Roger Carter, center Malik Sumter, defensive end Hardrick Willis, and nose guard Dante Wilson. The first thing I was gonna say that you were teasing was that i think that dante wilson is just an honorable mention i think he's one of the top three in interior linemen in the Sun Belt, and so that one was a little bit surprising especially because not that pff college is gospel but pff college did their own team of the year for the Sun Belt and had him as the first team nose guard so at least someone looking at the film that was the issue here, not necessarily over the film and just looking at the stat sheet. Someone rated him as highly
1: as that. And so that's maybe one that I was expecting a little higher. That's fair. Um, I wish that Dan stayed healthy because I really wanted that first team. But I mean, second team is obviously not bad. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy that the injury and all that
2: that entailed didn't knock him out of conference consideration. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. Because there are good quarterbacks. There are good quarterbacks that he beat out as the second-team quarterback. And Caleb Barker, the first-team quarterback, definitely deserving of that. He put up crazy numbers this year for Troy. I think that everyone named is the people deserving of it for Georgia State. Uh, Maybe there are a couple other people who could have gotten some accolade. But that's a good group, and it's a much larger group than when you were 2-10 last year as far as on the team teams rather than every Sunbelt team gets the honorable mention spots. And I want to say that last year the honorable mention players outnumbered players actually getting an accolade as one of the first three teams. So that's progress. You won seven games, you had prolific year on offense. So you get a lot of offensive players getting accolades for that. Uh the the one thing, you know, the player of the year for the conference overall was a Bayless. And I just want to say Absolutely. He's the best player in the conference this year. I was worried that the conference was going to vote for a quarterback because quarterbacks are usually favored for that award. But I mean, when you are leading the country in a stat and when it's receiving yards and I think touchdowns and yards per catch, even I think you totally deserve to have that. And so I just want to say good job
1: voters for getting that one right. Yeah, Omar Bayless had a ridiculous year. (laughs) <laughs> they definitely got that one right.
2: I, I will say, and this is going to, because it's a Georgia State podcast, this is going to feel nitpicky and homery. But I get that App State won the East and had an 11-win season. Just going off the numbers, which it seems like was predominantly what factored into these, I don't necessarily know why offensive player of the year would have been Darrington Heavens over Trey Barnett because when you line them up, Trey has better numbers and Georgia state was still a bowl team. And Trey was a big contributor to that. So not to take anything away from Darrington Evans, cause he was also a very good player this year. Uh, not undeserving of it on his own merits, but I just think if, if it's just that he was the best statistical offensive player for the best team. And I guess if that's what we're doing with that award, then sure. Uh, but I think, it is a little bit. That's the one thing It is a little confusing if, if he's getting that accolade, even though Trey's got better raw numbers. I mean, I I would make the case for Trey in that case. I wasn't leading up to it because I didn't necessarily know that a running back was going to win that award. I figured at hey, won one player of the year, then it would just be whatever quarterback they was the best was going to win offensive player of the year. But given how it shook out, I can't help but, you know. Stand up and say, hey, Trey Burnett was awesome.
1: Yeah, that was a little confusing. It's okay. We don't need to rehash awards and who should and shouldn't win. Uh, but it's, it's like you mentioned earlier, it's nice that the Panthers got so many more people with actual accolades this year. Uh, I think off the top of my head, I remember just Brandon Wright on the, of the all-conference team last year. I'd also end by mentioning this.
2: So, you've got three seniors of the people winning awards. You've got Trey Hunter and Dan, everyone else, the other seven names are players that are going to be back. And there are some teams in the Sun Belt where I think all but one or two of their named accolade players on this were seniors. And so that's a huge talent loss. And Georgia state has holes. They're going to have to fill going into 2020, but that you've got so many of these players who have been rewarded for their 2019 performance, who have at least one
0: more year to go. It does bode well for what is coming back. So moving on to a little bit of basketball discussion, the men's basketball team defeated Dartmouth on Tuesday to go 3-0 and against the Ivy League and also marking the first time that an Ivy League opponent has ever come to the sports arena. That game was an overtime victory of 83-80 to over the Big Green more overtime eh? (laughs) right second game in a row panthers went to overtime but hey they got it done
1: so this game was forced to overtime in a little bit different fashion i feel like um even though georgia state kind of came back at the end of both games um they kind of let the lead slip in this one instead of you know just keeping it steady on the comeback trail but i remember early in The season, a few weeks ago, we talked about Georgia State not having that ability to finish games, and they must be listening to this podcast because that is two straight games where they have made it not pretty, but they have done exactly what they needed to do when it mattered for them to close out with the win. You know, they've hit their free throws late. They've, Corey Allen, before we start gushing about him, I mean, he had a monster game. I think you could begrudge them a little bit for giving up that three pointer to James Foy that we all knew was going in. Um, but at the end of the day, they still found a way to force it to overtime. And, you know, I think everybody in the sports arena thought that Corey Allen won the game, but uh, watching live, it seemed very apparent that his foot was on the line. No, um, so this, I mean, this team is yeah. fun. They are rolling yeah, can, right can,
2: now. Can confirm that was there. Air had absolutely no angle to see where his foot was, um, so apparently it was very obvious on the ESPN broadcast. It was not even close to being a three. I could not tell you the entire sports arena that was going crazy. Also, couldn't see it, and so I. That's there's always the fun little disconnects between watching a game live and watching it on whatever platform you use, um, because. <laughs> it's two different experiences. But what I would say from watching that game is I think the word that you used when we talked about this before was grit.
1: Yeah. They're they are I think the what impresses me about Georgia State is they're doing it in a lot of different ways. Um you know, I think uh yes, so they started Jalen Thomas at Forward center, whatever you want to call it, um, you know. Last game against Charlotte, they started Chris Clerkley, and you know you've seen Coach Lanier rotate his bigs, and you know when something's not working, it seems he's very quick to you know go small. You know, take Damon Wilson for example. Yesterday, he got in some foul trouble early, recognized his shot wasn't there, and they sort of ran the offense through Damon after a while. And, you know, when the three ball wasn't working in the first half, they shot like 12%. You know, they took a step back, stopped shooting them, and then in the second half, that was when Corey Allen kind of exploded from downtown. You know, and it's it's really nice to see that this team can come at teams in a variety of different ways. You know, I think we saw Chris Knight, the forward for Dartmouth kind of abuse Georgia state inside a little bit. And then in the second half, he kind of got shut down, you know? So as long as Georgia state can continue to find those different ways of scoring and find those different ways of shutting different people down, I'm going to continue to laugh that this team was picked sixth in the Sunbelt preseason poll.
2: I'll back off the Chris Knight got shut down. Um, for my eyes, it wasn't a, a shutting down. He kind of did what he wanted to, and especially late was still making an impact on the on the defensive glass for M for Dartmouth, and also just he was nine of eleven on the game. But the point for, for me with him is he's one of the better post guys Georgia State's played so far, and so he had a good night. But it was a good challenge for for the young bigs to face and to go up against and to learn what he does that's good and take that away and learn lessons by watching someone, even if it is against... I mean, you won the game, so you don't have to feel too bad about a good game. But what I noticed was in the first half, George State was getting some good looks and they weren't falling at a great rate. And so I, my thought was if in the second half they just keep working and keep getting those good looks, that more of those were going to go down. And Corey Allen was, we can talk about him now. He he was going crazy in the second half and it was sometimes just, they left him in the corner, you know, whatever. And sometimes it was just, he was creating his own space. And it was encouraging to see, because I think that little bit of that in his game where he's going to be the guy who can make his own shot more than some other guys, especially on the perimeter, but that by and large, the team was trying to run offense and getting assists and passing it around. And the times where the team struggled the most is where everyone was not doing that. And where it was a lot more of a struggle finding good looks. And that was when Dartmouth stopped, uh, stopped Georgia state from scoring for almost five minutes Ah, uh, because Georgia State wasn't getting good looks. I think that Dartmouth was also contesting inside better than some of the teams that Georgia State had gone up against previously, and so learned from that. I think that the the bigs got tested a little more inside and missed some shots they hadn't been missing. But I think it's because Dartmouth had been defending it better. But the clutch free throws in overtime—seven of eight in, from the free throw line in overtime—and that's basically what won you the game. Uh, you. Didn't hold on to the lead that you had late in the second half, but you stayed in the game and forced the overtime period. And it's it's still a, a work-in-progress team. There's still a lot of turnovers. Guys are still kind of finding their roles. And by conference play, ideally, you would want to have kind of a set plan with the bigs rather than a new guy starting every game. But non-conference is about finding these things out. And if you're doing it while winning at the same time, then that's all the better.
1: I want to agree on that bigs comments, but I will say, I'm not even sure that coach Lanier doesn't know what he has with them. I think we've just seen it be a situation where he plays the guy with the hot hand. And, you know, like we saw with clerkly against Charlotte, if the hot hand is going to be the guy sitting on the bench, even if, you know, he played someone that had a good game previously, he is not afraid to just pull a guy and, you know, continue to work all of the guys in the game. And so, yes, maybe there will be a set concrete starting five as you know, when they line up against UTA uh, in a couple of weeks from now, but I think he's just still going to rotate everybody in and out just to, you know, keep legs fresh and to, you know, reward guys who are playing well and do what he's got.
2: Yeah. I do think that there's a a good point there about freshness and everything. I think that more so than previous years, and we'll see how it plays out, but I would expect that the the tired legs are going to be less of a factor than they have in previous years where some games by conference play, by February, March, there's just games you lose because guys are tired. And I think that there is a little bit room actually in the front court to get some Give a guy more minutes off on a night because you have the options. I guess I just meant specifically roles, you know, starter versus reserve versus you know eighth man versus ninth man. I that kind of stuff. I was saying you'd want to get worked out, but you still got time to do that. And if even if you've got an idea, giving a guy a look at a start when he hasn't got one. Like you say, there's there's a merit to that, even if like long term, you know what you want and it isn't this, you know, it's still worthwhile.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, so the Panthers, their next game is Mercer, I believe. Saturday, Saturday, yes. Saturday, 3.30, 4.30 that,
0: for us Easterners. Uh, what a time. Is that the first time that the Panthers have returned to face the Bears since the uh infamous 2012 game that resulted in two ejections i believe neither of whom were players
2: i i believe so uh we'll not take the bait on the story um mercer came last year to sports arena so i believe this is returning that home and home i don't think they've played in any season since the 2012 so it's interesting because it's two first-year coaches in the program because Mercer hired Greg Gary from Purdue. They're four and five right now. And Coach of the Year referenced this in his presser after the Dartmouth game, that they're coming off of a season tournament where they lost both games and that he said to his guys, you know, if we had lost both games in California, game against Charlotte would have felt like a must win because they would have just been desperate. And so he was saying he's expecting to get a really good shot from Mercer because coming off of those two losses in there, they're going to want to come home in their home crowd and win. And remember what that feels like and all. But I guess we'll see how it shakes out. Georgia State, the one in three on the road right now is a misnomer because two of them are against conference teams, So we don't necessarily know what kind of a road team, but Mercer is – scoring just under 74 a game and giving up just over 77. So I think that there's an opportunity if the offense, if the shooting, especially from the second half against Dartmouth shows up that Georgia state is going to have the opportunity to put up some points. And I guess that that's what I would expect to see is the difference. I, it would, it would be nice to see a just complete defensive game kind of like this the second half of the Cal Baptist game, just for both halves of this game, because that was as we, you know, ogled about during that that recap, that that was a really impressive performance in that game. And it will be nice to see that. And I think long term defensive performances like that is what Coach Linear wants to instill. But I think it's fair to say that the offense is slightly above the defense right now game to game
1: at least are you talking consistency or yeah. are you okay then yeah
2: yeah, yeah i think yeah game to game it's it's more i mean the the number of points is still you know the stats in general are still skewed by 10435 bruton parker result just cuz there's so few games but it just feels like week to week game to game the offense has been it's gotten off the bus more and there's been More consistency there. But yeah, I think that, you know, if you're ranking like best performances from one of the sides of the ball, I think second half Cal Baptist defense is the number one performance of the year because that was just crazy. But so I think that the high the ceiling is there. I think it's still figuring it out, but the the raw numbers don't tell the whole story. I think there's still stuff to iron out with the defense and You got exposed a little bit by a good shooting team in Dartmouth. So I think that it's still something that that's got to come together a little bit more, especially if you've got championship aspirations.
0: So before we get you guys out of here this week, we did have a question from one of our listeners. Uh, Mike from Marietta wants to know, do you guys believe in sports superstitions like growing playoff beards or wearing the same pair of socks during a winning streak? Uh, David, noted Chicago Cubs fan, I bet has some very interesting takes on this.
1: So I do. um, And as a Cubs fan, there is an incredibly good book that I can plug um, that used to be released before they obviously won the World Series. It's called um, 104 Reasons Why, um, and it just kind of detailed, you know, actual reasons why the cubs didn't win the world series um which is super boring um but I guess there's something to be said about living through, you know, the Billy Goat curse or the black cat curse or, you know, and just like those kind of neighborhood stories that you tell your kids and your kids tell their kids. Um, because I think the superstition adds fun to sports. You know, do I think uh, Billy Goat owner in 1945 was the reason the Cubs didn't win a World Series for a century? No, of course not. Um but do I still grow a playoff beard every year when any of my teams are vying for a playoff spot? Of course I do. That's just the fan in you, you know? Um, I think there's, you have to do it and recognize you're not affecting anything, but still, you know, it's fun when all those NHL guys have, you know, beards down to their knees for whatever reason. And, you know, if it brings a set of camaraderie to it, of course, absolutely do it.
0: Yeah. uh, I agree with David to a certain extent. To me, it's I I don't believe in superstition like as a as a thing, but I do believe in camaraderie and the kind of positive uplifting effect it can have when people just do stupid, meaningless things out of sometimes out of respect for other people, sometimes just for the heck of it and saying, hey, I forgot to shave my beard before the last time this team uh, went and played a game and they haven't lost since I haven't shaved. OK, well, yeah, that's fun. It's, it's, a, it's just a fun thing to keep up with. Does it really mean anything? No. But you have all these different things that you could just immediately dismiss as, OK, well, that's just a happenstance, whatever. And yeah, that's what it is. But you have this fraternity almost of people who are fans of the team that you're a fan of and people have played for the team, and you come together just to do stupid things just for the sake of doing it. That's fun. Why Why would you not want to participate in something like that?
2: So this isn't maybe the the nature of the question specifically. Um, I'm more of a small-stake superstition guy. Um, stuff like, you know, if a perfect game in baseball is going on, you don't mention the perfect game is going on. You don't say the words perfect game, you know, you're coy about it, stuff like that. That's my my superstitions is stuff around not jinxing stuff by saying it in baseball, you know, or not saying a game is a win until the clocks are at zeros. You know, it's like, man, this would be a big win, uh, not mentioning it. Tying it back to Georgia State, been there where the 2014 Sun Belt title game in basketball is like this is basically over we're gonna go to tournament and it didn't happen Ugh. um oh, and so you' have always got to be careful about <laughs> well you know gotta tie it into the brand and misery um Oof,
0: you've you've hurt me brady
2: i I'm not as much uh, like I don't wear the same stuff um I think during the uh the 2015 bull run I did happen to have not shaved from the start of that win streak, and then kept that going through the Southern game of 2015, down the 34-7 game. Um, but that was it; just happened that way. Um, ironically, I shaved, and and they lost to Curbell that year, so maybe I did play a role, my non-believer way of um, breaking that
1: win streak. Well, let me ask you a question because I believe that run was in November. So, yeah, that- I think
2: it. I was doing No Shave November because, you know, college kids doing No Shave November.
0: It's basically you know, just easier than actually trying to do No Shave Iconic November, Care. just don't shave, right? Right.
2: <laughs> and so I think it was like at five and six at that point, so one win gets you to bowl game and it's against arrival. I think it was like, well, I, December 5th is the the day of the Southern game. I I'll just wait a little bit longer to shave and then... I was like yeah keep it going after this game go for the and then i was like my face is really itchy i'm gonna shave uh, <laughs> and then i guess so i guess i'm the reason for the loss and i guess i can own that but i, I i'm not that kind of sports superstition guy i guess to bring it back around to the original question but i am on a different level as superstition guy i'm this proud of fun. us we didn't we didn't once make the uh michael scott super you know a little stitious joke Oh God!
0: <laughs> mm. Yeah, that was a miss. I, f- I feel like if Taylor were here, he would have he would have made that. Oh, yeah, he He's so totally on- in honor, honor of in say. honor of Taylor. I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. So, Mike, thanks for that question. Uh, if any of you out there are thinking about doing something like. I don't know win streak beards. The men's basketball team is currently on a four-game winning streak, and if you haven't shaved since that uh, that first win and the streak against Prairie View A and M, then uh, maybe don't shave. But uh, that's going to do it for this week. As always, thank you for those of you who send in questions every week. Some weeks uh, we appreciate it. Don't be afraid to reach out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, snail mail, carrier pigeon, whatever. We like to talk to people. That's why we do this thing for the whole Panther family, for all the fans. So uh, get in touch with us. We'd love to talk to you. Uh, Aside from that, I think that's about all we've got this week. So uh, thanks for listening, and we will catch up with you next week. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynightgmail.com. At